This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. A manhunt going on in the state of Maine. And the city um, is Lewiston, and the city beside it is Auburn. Lewiston has 38,000 people. Maine has 24,000. These are small communities, and 20 people were killed by what seems like one man and one shooter, and he's on the loose. I can't remember waking up. I'm, I'm going to tell you that doing morning radio for a long time, I've done a lot of these. I've done a lot of these shootings, and I've, I've been the first voice to some anyway to tell you about things like this. But I can't remember. Me and, I, I think Sandy Hook was on a Friday. I don't know why I think that because I don't think we did something the next day. But I remember the Pulse nightclub really, really well. 2016, there were 49 fatalities. The Las Vegas shooting, absolutely. With the concert going on on the Vegas Strip, 58 fatalities. That is the worst mass shooting in U.S. history. The shooter's doing it from a hotel room. It's a country music concert. Um, People are walking back and forth on the Strip. Uh, Easy targets. Um, But this one is going to be in that category. And I'm looking at this long list of Parkland, Florida. You just need you just name these small towns, Uvalde, Texas, just from last year. And you remember how that where you were at that moment and how that made you feel. And I'm, I remember Columbine really well because it just felt like the first of its kind in 1999 in Littleton, Colorado at Columbine High School. I was in um, Denver covering a playoff series between the Red Wing, Detroit Red Wings, Colorado Avalanche. But two weeks after Columbine, and it's still because they delayed their their games for about five, six days just because the community wasn't ready. And when I got there, I wasn't sure they were still ready. It was the first time I'd ever been to Denver, Colorado. Amazing place, amazing city. I got to go there three years in a row or three out of four years, and I loved visiting there. But that summer, that that May that I was there was incredibly heavy because there were photos of kids everywhere. And flowers and just sadness. It didn't matter. Like your your server would come up to take a drink order from you and she'd be sad. It was one of those things that was very, very rattling. So they're looking. But I, I bring that up to note. I don't remember a time when I was on the air the next morning going, they don't know where the guy is. The last time I remember that was the Boston Marathon bombing. And that held the city of Boston and most of Massachusetts, same geographical area, ironically, very captive for a long time. And the orders are very strict in Maine this morning. Stay home. Don't leave the house. Barricade yourself in. No school. No work in the office. No school. No nothing. No 8 a.m. squash game. No Pilates class. Your home. Plain and simple. 20 people dead, multiple people injured in an active shooter situation. This was Caitlin Collins last night on CNN. They had dramatic video of people fleeing the bowling alley. Spare time bowling alley is where this uh, shooting rampage started. Here's Caitlin Lee. She's talking to uh, Josh, uh, oh, Josh Dixon, um, who is a specialist when it comes to law enforcement. And she had to interrupt him, but she wanted to play this video. When you hear it, I think you can picture the images. But I want people to know what they're watching right now. And this is video that we have just obtained. You can see people running. They are running from the bowling alley that we believe is the site of one of these shootings here in Maine that we are covering at this moment. This breaking news coming in. 
There's this video of people sprinting from the bowling alley. You can see several people here. I mean, what does that tell you about how, how potentially crowded? I mean, it's a bowling alley on a Wednesday night. If this is the scene of an active shooting, Josh. No, exactly. And you see law enforcement approaching. You can see the reflection of the police deck lights there in that window. Authorities arriving at the scene. They don't know at the time as they're making their approach if the suspect may be in and among the crowd. We see people there walking out with their hands up. We've seen that, sadly, in so many instances. Innocent people who are now, you know, victimized and traumatized. So just shocking. Um, and I I don't know if, if you're the same as me. And I don't think this jinxes uh, anything. I don't believe in that stuff. I've just never had anything quite like it. I know people who were on the street during the van attack in Toronto. I know one person really, really well and one person kind of well. And they still talk about it. And they have five nightmares about it a year, the, the friend of mine said. I've never had a situation like this where I felt I have to get out of a place immediately or I might die. Think about that, right? Imagine... And this guy, I mentioned this 11-year-old girl who spoke to the, the TV camera last night. Her last words were, it's, it's not great audio to play. I, I think it works for TV. I was wrestling with it this morning, looking at it, and I'm like, it, people just aren't going to stand uh, understand her well enough. It's really, I'll, I'll look for better a better version of it, but I've seen two, and it's just, it's, I can't, it's very hard to hear her. But she basically says, like, people have families. It's not okay to come in here and do this. And I'm like, in its most simple form, in its simplest form, she's absolutely correct. An 11-year-old. All you would think about as a parent. When will my little girl get over this? When will my little girl not see the images, not hear the sounds, not see people bleeding? That's all you'd think about. Because adults who are on the other side of the street during the van attack can't, can't dump it from their minds. It doesn't matter how hard they've tried. I've I talked to this person four times a year. I see them maybe twice a year. She cannot break this sort of cycle of remembering what that was like in spring of 2018 um, with uh, the Toronto van attack that killed 12 people in the city. So everybody's looking for one guy. He's 40 years old. Um, he should be considered armed and dangerous. And t more than 20 people are dead. Robert Card is this named person of interest by authorities. And they're looking very hard for him. I want to update you on um, the Middle East. I think it's uh, significant that there has not been a ground attack yet, but there's a lot of wrestling about it. This is the latest from BBC World Service and our main man, Paul Adams. It's very hard to know. I mean, he went on television tonight, Mr. Netanyahu, in a primetime address, which had left, I think, a lot of people scratching their heads. He did say that the government and the chief of staff of the army had agreed unanimously on the timing of a ground invasion, but that's not quite the same as saying a date has been set. And he certainly gave no indication as to when that moment would come. We've been hearing lots of talk about humanitarian pauses, the Americans, the Canadians, and I think some European governments have been urging some kind of pause in hostilities. We've also been hearing that the United States may be asking for a delay as it gets some of its own defenses in place in the region. Of course, America has all sorts of military bases dotted around the Middle East and the Gulf, and there's some suggestion that they want to make sure all of that is properly protected because, of course, there is this lingering fear that an escalation of violence in the Gaza Strip could trigger some wider conflict. Yeah, hasn't happened as of yet. That's Paul Adams from BBC World Services. Two overnight developments you wouldn't be aware of when you went to bed last night. 
The Israel Defense Force carried out a targeted raid in northern Gaza. They used tanks. That's something we haven't seen a ton of yet. And there's still a lot of back and forth. Who's preventing people from leaving Gaza? Israel says it's Hamas. And Israel repeated an accusation. Hamas are using roadblocks to make sure Gazans can't leave because they do want them there. Like, we would agree on that, correct? Hamas wants Gazans to stay there. They're useful for them to prevent, basically, Hamas getting bombed into the next century. Um, But there's also a lot of accusations towards Israel and what they're doing and not doing as well. You can imagine. It's really tough to get the right information. We're all doing our best. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. He always responds uh, to us here on Toronto Today. Former congressman and a fantastic media personality. Has a podcast called White Flag with Joe Walsh. You've seen him on Bill Maher. Seen him on CNN. He's Joe Walsh. Thank you for making our time for us in Toronto, Joe. You know I appreciate it. Hey, Greg, always good to be with you, my friend. And and we'll do it again. I promise the next time we'll talk about something more pleasant. Um, times have been tough. The lifting, as no, I said. No, yeah, we we'll won't. Yeah, we'll try. No, we will. We will. We will. We will. <laughs> but but the lifting's been so heavy. And I, I mean, people for yeah. people who don't know, you were a congressman during uh, the, the era of the Sandy Hook shooting and the subsequent yeah. reaction. I bet you every time you see a story like this, it just rips you up head to toe. Well, it does. And you and I, we've talked respectfully about this issue. I'm a huge gun guy, a huge Second Amendment guy, but I'm honest enough to acknowledge that this is a uniquely American problem. We have a crap load of guns and we have too many people in this country who shouldn't have their hands on guns. It's an American problem. And there's a great example. What we know of the alleged shooter, uh, Mr. Card, is he reported mental health issues. He was hearing voices. He made threats to shoot up the National Guard. He was in a mental health facility for two weeks this summer. I mean, every warning sign imaginable was there. So then we get to laws and then we get to who should have a gun and who shouldn't, who should be institutionalized and who shouldn't. And they're all really fair conversations to have. They're all fair conversations to have. But what we do is when this happens, one side automatically says the guns, the guns, the guns. And the other side automatically says everything but the guns. And again, you said it. I think as we look into it, this guy had mental issues. He was uh, institutionalized for a couple weeks. How did he then get his hands on guns? I, I, I feel pretty confidently that there were probably books on the uh, laws on the books that were not followed. And there were certainly red flags that were not paid attention to. So the need for further laws, you know, again, I'm very skeptical of. But, but let me ask you that. Do we feel like we're further away than you when you were a congressman further away in the aftermath of Sandy Hook? I know we all said that's the last time. That's it. There's not like we're putting our foot down. We'll find a way to get bipartisan agreement and come to some kind of meeting in the middle. This feels impossible to do now with politics where it's at. No, it's almost like Sandy Hook ended it because think about it, Greg. And I was in Congress. Sandy Hook, a bunch of young, innocent little babies and children were yeah. shot up. And yet the two sides couldn't come together after that. So, no, this is not this is a way of life in America and neither side has interest in sitting down at a table and addressing root causes. Joe Walsh is our guest on Toronto Today, former U.S. congressman, and he hosts the podcast White Flag with Joe Walsh. 
Is there any sort of thing that could end up being an election issue when it comes to gun control? It just feels like, my God, I mean, all it's going to be to me is about the Middle East. And if we've got, you know, your old uh, nemesis, Donald Trump, going against a person that most Democrats wish wasn't the current president and wish certainly wasn't running again, if they if if it's not the former, it's the latter. I, I don't know what kind of cogent debate we'll have about any policy issues. No, that's and Greg. That's been the that's been the one of the most disappointing things about the Trump era is it, it's nothing's about issues. It's all about Trump. In 2024, it'll be Trump Biden, and it'll be Trump Biden 24 hours a day, and it, and most of that will be Trump. Uh, you know, again, it, 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 b- before Trump came along, I'm a conservative. Before Trump came along, you you were labeled politically based on where you stood on issues. In my former Republican Party right now, it has nothing to do with issues. It's where you stand on Trump. And that's not going to change as long as he's around. I say this all the time to my friends that are interested in my opinion on U.S. politics who don't follow it maybe as closely, certainly as you do, and to a modicum I do. And I'm like, I, I wake up dreaming of a presidential race between Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. I'd sign up for that in a heartbeat because no matter what you think of either's politics, we'd have cogent debate about issues. They just disagree on a ton. We have two political parties in this country, and one of our political parties, my former party, is utterly broken. Um, and and, and the, on top of that, this country, I've said this to you before, this country has not been this divided since before the Civil War. I really believe that. We are at each other's throats politically and until that temperature is lowered, and it's not going to happen in this next year and a half, Greg, I worry about 24. Think about what happened in 2020. Yeah. For the first time in American history, we, we tried to overthrow an American election. I worry that 2024 could be even worse. I got only a few minutes left with you, and you're being really generous with your time, but you've also had to be opinionated on your pod and, and elsewhere yeah. about all of our reaction post-October 7th. We're seeing it. You can imagine, right? Toronto's a very multicultural city. It's a yep. very diverse city, and there's room for diverse opinion and discussion about politics. That's not a lot about what we're seeing right now. And I will emphasize that, of course, um, there's there's some there's some um, how would I put it shrapnel for all religions and all communities. But I'm telling you how Jewish people in Toronto feel. They're petrified right now. They are petrified with some of the reaction to what's happened here and some of the demonstrations. I lead with that. I'm not Jewish, but I am hugely, hugely pro-Israel. Everybody listening to us should pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters around the world right now. This is the most dangerous time they've experienced in years. Look, this is pretty simple. Hamas, Hamas is evil. Uh, the pa- innocent Palestinian people are good. The Israeli people are good. Israel has a tough job, Greg. They have to remove this evil that is Hamas, and they have to do that in the, the most careful way they can so that innocent Palestinian people are not killed. But until Ham- the only way the Palestinian people yeah. will know peace 
is when Hamas is no more. And I think it's worth clarifying the controversy, and not everybody pays attention to Israeli politics, Joe. Benjamin Netanyahu was hanging by a thread of support before this. Yeah. There were demonstrations saying he is too extreme. He is too right wing. There's no middle ground. There were a lot. When you're when you got thousands of people demonstrating in Jerusalem, then, Joe, there's the security letdown. Think where we were post 9-11. How could this happen? Yeah. Imagine in Israel right now and, and their fortress allowing people on, on hang gliders coming in and, and massacring communities. There's a ton of. So this isn't about Israeli politics. I got all day to criticize it, but the state of Israel needs to defend itself. Yes. Bingo. And they have lived now for the last 17 years next to a neighbor, Hamas, that wants to destroy them, wipe them off the face of the earth. That's untenable. So that has to change. But but the Palestinian people deserve way better than Hamas as well. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Michael Levitt uh, joins us now on Toronto Today. He's a former MP and president and CEO of Friends of the Simon Wiesenthal Center. It's great to have you on, Michael. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me on again, Greg. I appreciate it. Uh, it, it I, I, every time I think, okay, you know, we've hit peak temperature height in Toronto in terms of hotness. It gets a little hotter. How do you view this today? Potential school walkouts, a rally at Queen's Park last night, and now this scenario in Mississauga on Saturday. Where are where are we? We're just continuing to see, as you said, the temperature, you know, get hotter and hotter. And I think it's certainly raising alarm bells for the, the Jewish community and many others, by the way, um, when they see these things happening in places like our, you know, city squares and our schools. And I'm concerned, you know, you talked about the, the school situation. I understand that the school uh, board is in a tough situation. If students decide they're, you know, they're going to walk out, what are they going to do mm -hmm. other than mark them absent from class? But I really worry about the safe space for Jewish teachers, for Jewish, Jewish students. We're hearing so many concerns um, from the Jewish community within the TDSB school system about how this impacts them, how they feel about it. You know, when those kids come back in, um, you know, how the teachers, you're right, who, who on a good day have their hands tied, how are they going to be able to manage the heightened emotions and everything else? And this is a concern. The, the, the school board must, must make things safe for the their Jewish uh, uh, members within the system. I think we're just getting so many opinions because I can't tell if it's all social media, but there's just a lot of people... You know, skiing, they're, they're leaning over their skis. They're out of their element. And I understand, like, it's the most complicated political issue globally of our of our existence, bar none. And there's a lot of people just saying a lot of wrong things about even the history of this, to me, Michael. Yeah, and and, and there's always going to be that. When, when things flare up in the Middle East, there's always going to be tensions back in Toronto. But the manifestations that we're seeing this time around, Greg, uh, are, are so much more profoundly disturbing than we've seen before. You, you alluded to it, at, uh, you know, off the top. When we saw uh, the, the Monday after the atrocities committed by the terror group Hamas, when we saw those first rallies uh, put on at Nathan Phillips Square, which explicitly, 
explicitly said they were celebrating the heroes and celebrating the death of Zionists. There was no ambiguity there of what was going on. They were celebrating terrorists. When we see now in communities uh, across the city, Danforth in particular, the last couple of days, acts of vandalism on schools, on uh, public infrastructure like garbage cans, um, all over the place, mezuzahs being torn down off of doors, the Jewish community is rightfully concerned about how this thing is multiplying. And we haven't seen it this way before. We, we, yeah. uh, we heard from Chief Dempke, Myron Dempke, a 131% increase in the hate crime being reported, incidents being reported. This is worrying, and it requires leadership on, on behalf of our civic leaders. What do you want from the mayor of Toronto? What would you want even? I'd, I'd extend it out to Mississauga. When this massive celebration is planned, is there an onus on, on politicians in Mississauga, namely the mayor, to say something? you got three days' notice. Say something. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think it's important for, our, for, again, the mayors to say something. And I will say that Olivia Chow has stepped forward in the aftermath the other day of the, the incident outside Cafe Landwer, uh, which, you know, was targeting a Jewish business. It, the, the, the kind of the mob uh, descended upon it. Uh, I, again, I'm not sure what's going on in, in Mississauga vis-a-vis the city council and the mayor there. But yeah, it's incumbent on um, our civic leaders at all levels uh, to not be silent in the face of what we're seeing. This is not this. What I'm talking about is not about the Middle East. Like they can they can weigh in and should weigh in as necessary uh, on the Middle East. But but certainly the uh, the ramifications on Jews uh, in Canada, in Ontario, in Toronto and Mississauga, there, there needs to be a clear articulation of what is not acceptable in our communities. On our, on our campuses, at our schools, they need to be clear because that's yeah. what Canadians expect. Michael Levitt's our guest on Toronto Today. I wanted, this is almost a public service note, and I'm asking you to give me the Wikipedia version of it, but let's take the from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free chant. If this changes one person's mind or a hundred person's mind about what the chant is, I'm seeing all these high school kids, university kids, and I've got to give some of them, Michael, the benefit of the doubt, but they're not educated about what the chant means. So tell our audience why it's so problematic. Yeah, this literally harkens back um, to the notion of wiping Israel off the map. It's, there's no two sides to this one. It means taking the borders of Israel, erasing them, uh, you know, for a land that would become Palestine. It's not about a two-state solution. It's not about two states for two peoples living side by side in peace. It is a rally, a a rally cry that is anti-Semitic to the core that calls for the destruction of the state of Israel. And we're very firm on that. Um, And we've communicated that to the school boards, at the rallies that are happening today and other places, when you start hearing those chants, it is explicitly um, targeting uh, Jews and Israel. And we we expect there to be, uh, again, uh, an understanding of just how serious that is in relation to, again, the impact on Jews in Canada. Is the chant Uh, chant hate speech? Is the chant hate speech in itself? No, it probably doesn't reach a threshold for yeah. hate speech under the criminal code, uh, but it's certainly hateful to to Jews and 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 Israelis. But-
But no, mm. it, it doesn't reach a threshold for hate speech. Michael Levitt, uh, Toronto Star columnist, former Liberal MP as well. Thank you for the time today. I wish you the best, your community the best. I wish all of us the best. Uh, we'll, we'll get through this, but we got to keep having these conversations and making some noise about, about what's right and wrong. I appreciate you coming on. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate all the attention that, that you bring to this issue. Uh, it's more important than ever, so thanks for that, Greg. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. How do you get out of tough conversations? You just talk about some Somebody else's marital problems. That's the best way I feel like we get. We talk about marital strife. Is that what you do at parties? Hell no. But maybe it's maybe I don't go. I don't get invited to parties because of all the uh, all the talking I do. People are like, share the ball, pass the ball around with your conversation. No, Greg doesn't do that. Everybody, yeah. no. But but this maybe it's maybe it's a new beginning and fresh step for everybody. But the headline this morning. <laughs> Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, you say it better than I do. And Santiago, our technical operator, says it way better. Say, say that name. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. We're sorry we're treating oh! you like some kind of circus act. You're a lot, oh, he's, you're a we, lot more than that. You have we've a great been sexually voice. harassing him through the entire show. Speak for oneself here. Anyway. No, you're the one who's asking to say random things. It's true. I am. I am. And, and role playing. Um, SGT. Repartnered with Ottawa doctor, ex-wife claims in divorce petition. Let's un Sheba, let's unpack that headline and explain some of what's happening. Since the Trudeau separated in July, this is our first relationship news. So we gotta we gotta glom on. No, it. August. Wasn't it August? beginning of August? Yeah, Maybe. it was beginning of August. I was in a I was in Florence, Italy at the yeah, top of the you tower missed the big when stuff. I screamed. Yeah. So oh no, but the whole tower heard me scream. There was a scream that echoed because they separated. <laughs> yes, dramatic much. So Justin and Sophie, they separated beginning of August. Uh, she has repartnered with a Argentinian pediatric surgeon in Ottawa named Dr. Marcos Betoli. Santiago, you have to say it. Marcos Betoli. What's his, what's his Marcos. job title again? Not his first name. What's his job title again? A, a pediatric it's surgeon. A surgeon. Sur, remedial oh. surgeon? <laughs> I didn't go to medical school. I know it's or, or any school, it sounds like. But here's the thing. Here's the interesting part of this. Dr. Marcos's ex-wife, in her divorce petition that was filed in April of this year, alleges that her spouse has repartnered with a high-profile individual who attracts significant media attention. She doesn't want any, uh, she doesn't want her kids around this person because of safety and security considerations. Uh, huh. So this has been happening since, we know, since at least April. Now, somebody did text, and we spoke with this a little bit earlier, and somebody did text and say, first of all, thank you. So many texts from everybody. I don't know if you're male, female, whatever you are, texting us saying, I just Googled this doctor. Go, Sophie. He's so hot. You know, we get texts all the time, but this is like we almost broke the text. He's getting rave reviews for um for his uh his um jawline. And good for her. Good for oh, he's a beautiful his, soup. Listen, JT, you love him, you hate him. Well, we can't deny for a man in his early fifties, he is a very attractive man. He takes care of himself, he's got that head of hair. He's we we know he loves to run without his shirt on in public. So, you know, he likes to work out, take care of his physique. Uh, but this guy, he went ups JT. By the way, all that was that was just said. Mark that tape because that's a great uh, spot buster. That's a great drop for uh, Toronto today with Greg Brady. Can we just, <laughs> except for the shirtless running through the hallways here, it only happened the one time. Yeah, he's getting he's getting reviews like um, Killers of the Flower Moon, like uh, like movie reviewers like that. The same way our listeners like the Argentinian doctor. Here's my question. Actually, there's a couple questions. Can Sophie go on a 
date now with him. Just think about this. They can't, they haven't been able to go out for dinner. Absolutely. She, they can't go to a movie. JT's okay, going to movies. He's going to Barbie. Let- he's going to Oppenheimer. But but can she now go with her new bow? We want people to Absolutely. find happiness in life. You think that'll Absolutely. happen? Yeah. So she moved out. She's the one who moved out of Rideau Cottage. So right. now I'm wondering, did she move in with him? Do they live together? And then she's there. She's at the cottage all the time. She's always with the kids. You see, you see pictures and their kids have a birthday and both parents are there. I love that. I love that, that they're putting the kids first. But maybe she shacked up with the surgeon. Christmas will be really interesting. We're, I mean, Christmas with the Trudeaus. I'd watch that 10-part 10, 10 Netflix documentary. I'd pay <laughs> all we're gonna see is like J- for JT's Netflix a gonna month. set up a, an obstacle course outside of Rideau Cottage and try to, but <laughs> try to take on the pediatric it, it, surgeon. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not. This this exes can be often be bitter people. I got it. But is the ex wife like? What are you talking about? I don't want you around. Is that secu- like security concerns? Like you think the father of your kids is gonna get well, kidnapped or something? She, she is never that what she mentioned. Thinks? Well, she never mentioned Sophie's name. She just said it's a right. high profile person. Uh I can understand the concerns. I can understand the concerns, especially, you know, it's a very divisive country right now. So if that was me, those are your kids. But yeah. she never mentioned her. It just sort of leaked out magically. I don't know how. And let me ask you this before we go. Do you think JT's got someone? No. No. What? I think he's. I think just, JT was first. too busy. He's trying to listen. He's taking, he's keeping Canadians safe. He's, <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sure no, it's. I on. think JT beat her to the punch. I think he was first. Oh my heavens! I just These think are he's better at keeping his tremendously salacious suggestions, and I, I'm all for it. I'm here for the the TSS, the tremendously salacious suggestions. We'll see. I, again, I don't know. And again, uh, uh, there's an Ottawa photographer dying, dying to get the first oh, shot yes. of Sophie out for dinner. Forget about it. With the Argentinian pediatric. Secondary surge, whatever he was, Santiago. I don't even remember now. I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Marcos. We'll just call him Marcos from now on.